Welcome to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. Your hosts, Danielle Sullivan, National Director at Curriculum Associates, and Sari Labaris, Social Communications Manager at Curriculum Associates, are here to share actionable tips, best practices, and success stories to improve your classroom and drive student learning. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Danielle. Hey everyone, it's Sari, and welcome back to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. We know there is a lot happening right now, and we hope we can provide you with insights, tips, best practices, and of course, breathing room from the critical work you do. We are here to support teaching and learning wherever it is taking place. And we're super excited for today's episode. We're going to step back from our interviews with teachers for a bit, and this mini-series is focused on leaders, whether you are a district leader, a school leader, a teacher leader in your building, grade level chair, um, content area leader, or a teacher aspiring to be a school or district leader someday, we hope you find this information helpful. And so to share with us some of these leadership tips, tools, and just what's going on out there right now, we have with us National Director from Curriculum Associates, Glendalise Martinez. So welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Sari. Thanks, Danielle. I'm so excited to be here today with you guys. Well, you ladies, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we kick it off by you just introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, um, your background, how you became a current national director, all the things. Oh, cool. So yeah, um, my name is Glenda Lees, as Sari said. um, I've been in education since I was 20 years old. I started teaching when I was in college at uh, the People's School of English in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where we taught English to Spanish speakers in the community so that they could learn their rights, right? So that was my first intro to actual teaching in the classroom. And then over the summers, I worked at um, preschools. Uh, One was at uh, in Newark, New Jersey. And then right before I started teaching, I was a pre-K teacher in North Brunswick uh, before I started my my teaching career as a high school teacher in, in uh, Franklin Township, New Jersey. Um, and it's interesting because the way that my career's evolved, it's just kind of coming full circle now. Um, while I was at Franklin, I had an opportunity to teach at York College. So I was teaching high school and college simultaneously. And it was a lot of fun because I got to see the difference between uh, what what we're limited to when we teach high school and then the freedoms that we have when we teach college. Um, and then you also get to see, because of, of my experience, I got to see the what happens at the inception of a child's education and what happens, you know, to that to that child or or the results of that education or lack thereof when they get to to college. And it was it's really eye-opening um, just to see what um, I had been trained to look at what to evaluate in my students. Um, and then what I did innately that has now become the thing that I love, which is a uh, culturally responsive teaching. Um, and now it's it's gotten a little deeper. I just finished reading Dr. Goldie Muhammad's book, Cultivating Genius. And a lot of what she wrote in her book resonated with me because there were things that I was doing with my students that I didn't even realize were so important to building their identity, not just as as learners, but also as people in the world, right? Um, So it's been a lot of fun going from the classroom to sales to now living in this 
hybrid space of being a national director where I get to do sales, but then I also get to inform uh, our, our, our listeners, right? Our partners um, on what, on what the, the old but resurfaced things are that child, children should be, or how children should be learning, essentially. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, speaking of excitement, tell us some of the things you're currently working on. What are what what excites you about this work? Um, tell us more about the book. All you know, more things. Keep telling so, us. So it's really funny because my family is always asking me if I'll ever go back in the classroom, and I tell them I don't know. Um, and the reason why I tell them I don't know is because I feel like I get to influence so many students in the work that we do here at Curriculum Associates. So it's almost like I'm there, but not quite. You know, I. I get to talk to teachers. I get to talk to administrators. I'm talking to partners at different organizations. I get to speak to students. And then what we roll out um, in terms of like our workshops, those directly affect what happens in the classroom with our kids. So now um, for the last, I guess, always in my career now that I've, after I've finished reading <laughs> Dr. Muhammad's book, I realized that I've always been a teacher who focuses on the development of a child's identity and validating that identity um, and, and empowering students to know where, where their histories lie, right? What their educational histories are and their excellence and how they can tap into that excellence. Um, but I didn't realize how much of that I was doing um, until now. I say until like the last couple of weeks. Um, and it's been, it's been great, you know, when I get to talk to educators about the work that they're doing in their building, the, uh, the foci at their buildings in terms of developing black and brown students specifically to ensure that those children are being seen and are being heard and are being validated and are a part of their educational process, right? And how I can support the teachers in those buildings to recognize their biases, leave those biases at the door and encourage those teachers or those educators to, to just engage with students in ways that they might not have before, right? So this work around decentering whiteness has been fun. It's, it's like being my real self at, in all aspects of my life. So I get to show who I am here and not have to sugarcoat that. So it's been, I mean, this is, this is great. So um, if I dig into Dr. Muhammad's book, it's just, she talks about these four or there's four. So there's, okay, let me just talk about her framework. So her framework is the historically responsive literacy framework and the framework has four parts, right? So in, in it, she talks about, um, let me just get into those four parts because I don't want to misspeak, right? So she, there's four different parts of a student's educational process and a student that you want to develop. So it's their identity, their skills, their intellect, and then their ability to, um, to uh, or what she calls criticality, which is essentially for them to be able to look at what's happening in the world, question power structures, even if that's their educator themselves and say to the educator, hey, you know, this is something that does not speak to me, or this offends me, or this is something that I want to dig into in school. There's um, there's these four parts to the to a learning process for students in order to 
to cultivate that excellence in our black and brown kids. And she focuses on black literary societies and brings that back, right? Because when, when, when black folks were learning to read and were teaching one another to read, there was purpose behind that. There was purpose. It was for empowerment. It was for um, breaking power structures that were in place at the time. You know, I was reading one part of the book and it, it didn't really dawn on me while I was reading it. But the fact of the matter is that like, folks were learning to read and risking their lives to do so, right? So it was a crime to learn to read that could be punishable by death at the at the worst of it and at the least of it you were you were beaten for it right so um the fact that people were were seeking education as a form of of protest as a form of revolution is a big deal to me so i'm i'm reading her book and i'm like yes this is it right so we we want to teach our students to to question everything that's happening in the world and and the the basis of that is so that when they pick something up and they read it they don't take it as truth they question so that they can have conversation around that and say, hey, maybe this isn't true. And they'll know how to search for resources, how to know, like to know whether or not this is like a real story or if this is fake news, right? That's what we, <laughs> we talk about that lately, right? So it's just, um, so anyway, criticality really spoke to me a lot, but there were other parts, right? So we're talking about identity. So it's not just about um, developing a, a student's like learning identity, it's also, who they are as an individual, what they bring, and looking at that through an asset-based lens, and and how sometimes when we when we, for example, we're a company that looks at assessments, right? And we always want our assessment to be a tool that opens doors for students. Um, so she talks a lot about how there are some assessments out there that um, close doors for students that are essentially bouncers in education, and they form. They, they help form an opinion about a student without actually looking at what the, the student's other assets are. Um, because our tests are essentially, like a lot of the tests in the United States are skills-based, right? But we're looking at this very uh, narrow window of skills that we want these students to learn. So what other things are our children bringing to the table that provide insight about who they are? And then what are we asking them? Are we asking them who they are? Are we allowing them space to tell their classmates who they are and to show their classmates who they are? So we have to ask those questions. And then of course, the importance of skill development is there, but it's done in context. So we're not building skills in students in isolation. Um, it's all about how and what kind of, what kind of uh, curriculum is being selected as students build those skills so that students are seeing culturally responsive curriculum uh, throughout their educational process um, and don't feel like an outsider in that process. Um, and then of course their intellect is just building on their knowledge and their mental powers um, and, and just seeing what they're becoming smarter about and helping them become smarter about the things they're being smarter about, right? So there's just, um, there's so much in here and I'm, I'm really excited about what about the direction that education is taken? Because I think we're being accountable or we're, we're trying to be accountable to a group of students who've been marginalized since the inception of our educational system. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of that process. I'm happy to be a part of that solution. And I, I just can't wait to learn more and to dig into this more and support our school districts, really. I hope I didn't ramble too much.
<laughs> no, you, you gave us a lot. <laughs> you gave us a lot of really great, amazing information. I want to help make some connections here sure. because you shared how when you were reading her book, that it resonated with you based on some of your classroom practices. Can you share yeah. some of the things that you did in your classroom that that are kind of tangential what to what you're learning or what Absolutely. kind of connections were you making? Absolutely. So it's, you know, I was not a perfect teacher. I need to put that out there. Um, what? Nobody's what? perfect. I was not a well, perfect teacher. Well, I was. No, no. <laughs> I wasn't either. Um, <laughs> Nobody's I, perfect. I will, yeah. I will say this. I, I taught in a district that was predominantly African-American. I mean, like, I would say the district itself was 80%, um, somewhere around 80% African-American. And the classes, not the, the classroom classes, but the actual, like, um, economic classes ranged, right? So we had students who were living in poverty, and then we had students who were really, really well off in this district. Um, there were, I felt a lot of instances where my students had no clue as to why certain things were happening in literature and how that tied to what was happening in history. Right. So for example, um, there's a, we were supposed to use an anthology. I never used the anthology a hundred percent of the way, because I felt like there were some things that I needed to supplement at the time. Um, and I'll give you an example of when I was teaching 11th grade. When I was teaching 11th grade, I I did a Harlem Renaissance unit. And there were some great things in that text. For example, the um, the preface to The Fire Next Time, which is James Baldwin's uh, My Dungeon Shook, A Letter to My Nephew on the 100th Anniversary of the Emancipation. That letter is an incredible piece of writing that I think everyone should read. Um, but he talks to his nephew about the effects of being a black man in America. His nephew had just gotten out of jail. Um, and I taught that, but I also taught my students what was happening historically. Uh, but I, I, I always, always try to talk about what was happening historically, not just in America, but specifically to the, to the population that we were reading about. And what was happening historically to Black people, right? Because my kids were predominantly Black. So what was happening in the Black community in 1969? What was happening in the Black community in 1865? You know, if we were reading, gosh, when we had to read the Puritan writings, which I hated, by the way, I just have to put that out there. But when we were reading those, um, I, I was talking to my students about the slave trade, right? So one of my kids asked me, or... And this question actually came up, up a lot with my students at one point or another throughout my teaching career. Miss A, why don't you teach history? You're always teaching us about history when you're teaching us reading or literature. And I would say to them, well, I think it's really important for you to know the context of the society uh, so that you can understand what's being reflected in the writing because art reflects life, right? So it's really difficult to isolate the experience of this writer if you don't know what's happening on a greater scale. So when I taught, I, I, I did that often and I didn't realize that that was me helping my students develop their criticality in their writing. Um, and my kids to this day still mention that to me, you know? I'll get random emails. I got a random message on Instagram from a student uh, named Mark, uh, when I say about a year ago, and he wrote me about, how he remembered a conversation I had with him 
about setting goals. And I told him that he played basketball and he was like so focused on basketball. He, he was not focused on his academics. And I told him, I said, you need to do both. And we had a really long conversation about his choices. And he wrote me, the, <laughs> when he wrote me, he said, Miss Say, that I, I think about that conversation all the time. And that's why I opened my, my own business and I'm doing really well economically now because of you. And it just was like, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that just validates the experiences um, that you try to, that, that I remember with my students, but also like the, the influence that you can have on students, right? But then I think about that on the flip side, right? If a student has a teacher who created some sort of um, insecurity in the child, they can carry that with them too. So I did mm -hmm. my best to empower my kids um, to let them know that they were completely capable of doing whatever it was I put in front of them. I mean, my kids read in ninth grade, they read the first chapter of the house of the spirits because I wanted them to really understand magical realism. And I felt like that book did magical realism so well. I got my hand slapped for it because it wasn't part of the curriculum, but my kids knew exactly what magical realism was at the end of that. Right. So, um, there were just so many things that I think about now um, that I did. There are things that I wish I would have done better with my kids. Um, but one thing that I felt was really important is for my kids to know that they were capable of excellence no matter what. So, okay. so thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, <laughs> what we're going to do is that's all the time we have for this segment, but we're going to break this up into a second segment. Um, so we'll close out here, but please stay tuned for the next episode with Ms. Glenda Lees to talk all about uh, more tangible things leaders can start thinking about and considering. And she shared a million resources in this. So we will include links in the show notes for sure. So you can access a lot of the resources that she's sharing. All right. Thanks, Danielle. So as always, you can follow along on Twitter at Curriculum Associates and on Instagram at MyIReady. And please be sure to tag us in your posts so we can see the amazing work you are doing. If you have feedback about the podcast, the topic of interest, or want to be a guest, please email extraordinaryeducators at cainc.com. This is about you. We are here for you. So until we meet again, be you, be true, be extraordinary. This podcast is produced by Curriculum Associates and is the copyrighted material and intellectual property of Curriculum Associates.